I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Welcome to the Badass Women's Hour podcast. Three women, one podcast, and a whole load of badass. With me, Harriet Minter and Emma Sexton. No Natalie Campbell this week. She's having a well-deserved break. We do have some stellar guests for you, though. We're joined by Deborah James, a.k.a. Bal Babe, who talks to us about living with cancer, coping with grief, and how to celebrate your successes even in the worst of times. Plus, Titi Dawudu talks about changing the face of theatre, and Alex O'Neill tells us what it's like to move back in with your parents when you're 35. Underwear, armpit hair, many imitators, but no one compares. Badass Women's Hour XL with Harriet Minter, Natalie Campbell and Emma Sexton on Talk Radio. One, two, three, four! And now we are very lucky to be joined by the beautiful, gorgeous and downright fabulous Deborah James, a.k.a. Balbabe. Hello! Hello, good evening, ladies. <laughs> Welcome, Adela. Now, we've had you on the show before, yes. but a lot has changed since you were last here. Yeah, I was thinking about that as I walked in, actually. I was thinking, right, last time I was on the show, um, I can't even remember what I was up to, but I know that the last eight weeks for me, a lot has happened, actually. Yeah, when you were on the show, so you were co-hosting, yes. actually, because Harriet and Natalie had abandoned me. <laughs> and yes, we I think you just got the news that you were in remission, actually. Yeah, and then I, well, then I had to have CyberKnife because, unfortunately, I wasn't in remission. Um, I think I found out, actually, almost a week later that my cancer had returned. So I've been undergoing some CyberKnife treatment, but alongside, um, I've been working really closely um, on a podcast alongside a colleague of mine, uh, Rachel Bland, who sadly I then recorded with up until 10 days before she died, um, which I, I walked in here, didn't I? And I said, you know what? I've had a rough couple of weeks. Um, not just because of her death. Um, I think I live in a bit of a morbid world and I don't want to I don't want to switch the conversation You're in terms of like a negative conversation on a Saturday. But you know what? I currently am in a cancer world. I have stage four bowel cancer that I'm currently being treated for. But I live around people who, unfortunately, um, they were diagnosed at the same time as me. In the last couple of weeks, five people I knew um, died. Wow, that's a lot. It is a lot. And we're going to keep talking to Deborah about it here on Badass Women's Hour XL. We're going to be hearing all her stories. She is a total inspiration, so stick around. The Vampire Strikes Back. Badass Women's Hour XL on Talk Radio. We are joined here on Badass Women's Hour XL by the fabulous Deborah James. 
Deborah, we were saying just before the break, you are feeling a bit of a weird place right now. Yeah, I am. I don't think it's bad to admit that. No, either. I think it's really brave to, to speak so openly about it. I think it. I've, I wrote a column this week. So I write a column for The Sun every week online. And I wrote a column this week about dealing with grief. Um, and I was really honest. I kind of said that actually um, grief is... You sometimes think that you're dealing with something. You know when you're a bit blindsided by an event in your life. And what you actually realise is actually you, you just deal with it by going a bit numb and carrying on. You know when kind of, you know, um, you, you kind of almost look back and you think, how did I do that? So if I take Rachel, for example, she died and then I was on the air 15 minutes later broadcasting. And somebody said to me, but you know what, Deborah, that's what you do as a broadcaster. You keep the conversation going. And so you do. But I think her death is now starting to hit me in terms of I kind of look back at those couple of weeks and think, how did I do that? How did I write about it, talk about it, broadcast about it? I just don't know. But then it's also kind of how we have to acknowledge the fact that actually, you know what, sometimes you just want to curl up in a ball and have those really, really rough days. I don't know. How do you guys pull yourself away if you're having a really bad day? What do you actually do about it? Well, I, I mean, I definitely have not experienced five people that I know and love <laughs> dying. Like, that's a big deal. I, th- I think what I'm learning as I get older, though, is to feel the emotion yeah. and really almost go through it. But the grief that you're experiencing is a whole nother level, Deborah. I don't know anybody who's experienced that amount of grief. And, you know, I know that people talk a lot about, oh, well, there's five stages of grief, but I'm sure that's not a linear No, it's not. Journey. Found, do you know, I found this out. So I recorded with this lady um, called Shelley, who is basically the CEO of a charity called The Grief Encounter. And we asked her the question and she's one kind of she's written books about grief and we were sitting around and I recorded with uh, Rachel's husband and we're all there kind of wanting the answer in terms of what does grief look like and you know you're kind of thinking oh maybe I've got to stage two maybe I'm just angry or maybe I'm in whatever it might be and she threw everything up in the air she said no it's not really a process like that and she was she what she actually said she said you know what you have to um kind of stop it looking at it as something that you are going to park one day and leave behind you and I came away thinking well what does she mean by that does that mean I've just got to deal with it for the rest of my life but I think it's just you learn that actually it is going to affect you and you just become a little bit stronger and you kind of take it with you um but you learn how to kind of acknowledge that and say you know what that's a really tragic thing that's happened um but yeah can I ask how this feels for you because I think it's one thing when somebody close to us dies yeah it's another thing when you are living with stage four bowel cancer and yeah. somebody close to you dies of cancer. Yeah, you project your future yeah. onto it. So I've that's what's throwing me. So I'm already grieving for my own life, even though nobody's told me that I have to. And I'm sitting here with heels on and lipstick on and whatever. Looking amazing. Yeah. Thank you. It's a big mask, I have to say. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that's exactly what happens. I think you, you don't just grieve for their life. You grieve for kind of, well, hang on a moment. I'm a ticking time bomb and you think I'm going to be next so what I've taken from this kind of slightly rough period of my life I have to be honest with you in that I'm not saying it's all rough you know I've done some brilliant things but I think it's acknowledging that actually you know what I don't know anyone who would be handling the stuff that I'm going through in a good way and what I'm finding is that the more that I'm saying to people you know what I'm finding it quite tough at the moment the more people are like actually yeah okay 
that's okay now we can help you rather than me like trying to run away from it because you say dealing with it in a in a good way and I'm all my immediate thought was if you were dealing it in a way where you were all like everything's fine fine. I would be like that's not a healthy way to deal with what is essentially what you're going through is, is traumatic yeah but don't you find that like when actually when you're in the midst of it sometimes you're like I'm fine I'm absolutely fine and you put this like smile on and you put lipstick on um, whatever it is and then you sometimes like you carry on running and then you hit a brick wall and I did that and I hit a brick wall and then I just I just thought I don't know I just cried I just I didn't really know where to start I think I just had to start piecing myself back together I think I'm just about to start piecing myself back together have you got to a place now where you can feel when you have to take a time out when you have to say no I can't do this thing I, I have to say no to this um yeah but I haven't started saying no <laughs> that's, the next that, that's the next step I think acknowledging <laughs> acknowledging that you sometimes need to say well that I did a little bit too much there and um, because I the way that I've learned that the way that I deal with stuff is I keep myself busy because I kind of figure that if I can keep myself busy living I don't yeah. have to think about anything else <laughs> and then I sometimes realize that I've totally and utterly overcommitted to life just generally (laughs) (laughs) so that is my next plan of action that's going to be my new year plan learning how to say no (laughs) do you you feel like you are getting better you know you've been living with this stage four diagnosis and you've constantly been in this state of uh, well I mean I guess none of us know but like you say you do have a ticking time bomb but you're living constantly with this ticking time bomb do you feel like you are um able to to work with that in a in a better way than you could have done say six months ago or do you feel like it's just this never-ending battle that you've got to keep working with it is a never-ending battle I think it comes in waves though so I'm due for more scans which sends Mm -hmm. anyone into it like a tiz and you just don't know what's around the corner um but I think it's kind of acknowledging that it's not going to be plain sailing um and I think for me also it's kind of like what I'm learning is that I'm now I was diagnosed nearly two years ago and I'm kind of thinking, well, I'm still here. I'm not even supposed to be sitting here. Do you know what I mean? So I kind of think, well, okay, let's just park that for a little bit and kind of get busy with all the projects that I'm kind of doing. So you just kind of think, oh, I'm going to get my teeth into living for the for the moment. But that is hard. I'm not saying it's easy. It is quite hard. But yeah, keep myself busy. <laughs> and the other thing that must be strange is that in the midst of all these terrible things happening, you've also had some great things happen yeah I know some like really crazy stuff so like really my whole life has changed like when you talk when I think about like career changing like I am an absolute career changer I was a deputy head teacher in a secondary school and now you know when you fill out forms and you think oh what, what, what should <laughs> yeah, I do what do you put now <laughs> what do I put now I actually I actually put author writer yeah. and broadcaster because I think I can call myself that um so I, I wrote a book Yay. Yay. As We've you do. And here. I've read it actually. Well, I got the audio book to listen to. Did you? Um, so it's lovely to hear your voice. And also, I remember all your Insta stories where you were just like, oh my goodness, I've got it wrong. I've got it wrong. Oh, I'm in this small little room recording my audio book. So I kind of I wrote a book. It's, um, I, I can't actually say the title on there, can I? Uh, we're going to say it's called <laughs> FU Cancer and it's how to face the big C, live your life, and still be yourself. It's got a lot of asterisks, hasn't it? Yes, yeah, against it. So, yes. okay. Yeah. But I, I basically wrote it whilst I was undergoing my initial treatment because I kind of thought well hang on a moment 
if I'm if I was newly diagnosed, what would I want people to kind of say to me? And not from a medical perspective. So were you writing not... it as almost like a blog then and it's now become a book? Or I were was... these personal writings? For no, you? I was writing it as a kind of like um almost a kind of how to deal with the mental side of things because you're handheld through everything else so I wanted to look at the kind of you know when you're at three o'clock in the morning and you're sitting there and your mind is going absolutely bonkers what should you be saying to myself the problem is I I I read it back and I was thinking oh that's really good advice Deborah maybe I should start taking it (laughs) (laughs) it's always easy I shouldn't say that should I but you know it's always easier to give advice than to take your own inevitably and I was thinking actually if I follow this book it would really help me (laughs) but you know it's very it's very interesting because there are lots of books out there about cancer but not about that mindset and I definitely you know I like you know you've come on tonight and bravely said you know how you are struggling at the minute but overall I think your mindset is absolutely incredible and inspirational and I know you say sometimes you're doing too much but you really do like I don't know how you've been feeling today but you've got up you put makeup on you're here you're chatting and like you know you're you're pushing through and there was lots in this book that I took away in terms of how I'm going to support somebody that I know who's going to have to go through chemo in the new year and my main concern has been about their psychological welfare because I feel it's one thing to go through it physically but I feel like your mind is is all your part of that healing so process. Powerful. And it's, you know, you know what, there's loads of research, but there's no evidence that mindset changes your prognosis. But it, there is absolutely evidence that says it changes your anxiety, your depression, the way you can just kind of handle the situation. And exercise does that as well, actually. So I'm a massive av- advocate for kind of getting up, putting your running shoes on. Although in order to prove living, I fractured my ankle <laughs> running a half marathon <laughs> to prove I could live with yeah. cancer which I thought was hilarious but I think it is mindset I used to study um, uh, when I was a depsy head I, I did a lot about growth mindset in schools and I just thought how can you apply that to any you know illness any other situation and really it just forces you to get up and so Jeez, you know yeah. kind of go right come on then I've just got it. Is that also how you got how you got through your chemo? Because I remember the first time you were guest on our show, which was probably a year ago. Yeah, probably a year ago. ago. And you had literally been through twenty one rounds of chemo (laughs) at that time. And to me, I like I don't know how you would get through twenty one rounds of chemo without that mindset. Yeah, you have to physically I had to physically talk myself into getting my my bum to the door. That's half the battle. Half the battle is turning up. Especially when you know you're putting yourself through that anticipation of feeling unwell for a few days yeah it's really hard and it's like with any challenge isn't it you know when it's I don't know it could be anything from the admin that you don't want to do to whatever it is is you do have to talk yourself into it and you can talk yourself out of it I I had a couple of incidences where I talked myself out of it and I had to send myself (laughs) away for a couple of days (laughs) give myself a talking to and then sit myself back in the chair and have the chemo but you do you have to kind of go through that process and I think acknowledge that it's not easy and then just go but yeah it's but I kind yeah so I would say the last couple of months even though it's been um, a bit of a roller coaster I have done some quite fun stuff it's amazing what you can do when you just say yes to everything (laughs) I think sometimes like you know you get these um, moments where you're blindsided and 
it's quite easy to then go into a cave and say yeah. no to everything and you kind of pull the pull the uh, you know batten the hatch down um and actually I almost did the opposite I kind of went no screw this I'm gonna say yes to everything <laughs> and I was doing a speech the other day and somebody said and I think throughout the speech I kept on saying well I had cancer so I said yes to this and <laughs> I had cancer so I said and it's amazing where you can end up when you say yes to things what's the most random thing you've said yes to oh that's a good question oh it's not very interesting it's probably just like <laughs> going to some dodgy bar and, <laughs> <laughs> and said yes at two in the morning when you really should be going home one of those. No, I would say the kind of things that I said yes to which were really big kind of well not challenges but punts for me was somebody saying um, I have no background in writing somebody saying do you want to write a book so I suggest somebody saying do you want to write a column so I suggest do you want to do a podcast so I suggest but I could have just said oh no I was um, gonna say do you, you know, feel do you feel that like the cancer has made you more fearless in that respect yeah. because there are a lot of people who'd be like well I can't write a book why am I gonna write a book and you're just like do you know what I'll write a book I'll write a book. I'll do a podcast exactly. I'm like so do you feel like you're you're you know this you're going through a lot of stress and a lot of fear with the cancer but has it made everything else actually like do you know what i'm just whatever well, i just yeah. think what's the worst that's going to happen yeah and actually i'm probably staring at the worst case scenario right yeah. so i'm st- i'm staring at the other worst case scenario so if i can park that it you know if i try and write a book and it failed if it, it fails but actually it did really well yeah. so you just have to kind of go what's the response been like from the book you it's, had been, lots of, yeah. it's been amazing the thing that i found amazing about it is people sending me pictures of them in hospital reading the book attached to a chemo wow. pump oh. or whatever it might be and i just thought Oh, that's why I wrote it. Do you know what? Some of the I have found. I've been listening to your podcast and the book, and I found it really brilliant in terms of just demystifying what is a very, very tough time. And you see, I don't. You see a lot of awfulness around it, but you guys made it really like really real. But in a sort of, you just took away the sort of uh, scariness around yeah. it and made it much more like this is something it's going to happen much more matter of fact what I have found is though uh, a couple of people that I know this person who's close to me who has cancer they can't read it they can't they're listen too scared. to it they're too yeah. scared and I keep saying to them please read it please listen yeah. because actually they are going to take out that fear because they're going to tell you the fear is always the unknown it's the unknown do you know I've had a, a lot of people will say that so we um, put out a episode yesterday with Steve Bland Rachel's husband and a lot of people have said to me I can't listen to it at the moment because it's just too it's going to be too too much of a hard listen but I I recorded that the day after a very good friend of mine died not from cancer from cystic fibrosis and I was literally in tears thinking I don't want to go to Manchester I don't want to go and record you know when you actually have to kind of drag yourself into a situation because you think it's going to be really really hard and you know what I recorded and I came out and I had talked about grief and I felt so much better. Yeah. yeah. But Rach made us record about death. I listened to that one. It was powerful. It, it was really but powerful. But you know what? It was amazing because you were all talking about, you know, the fear of dying. Yeah. Now, we all have a fear of dying. And when you've got a loved one who's going to go through treatment and you wonder what outcomes that might be. And you had the nurse on talking about and it, again, it just made it go, oh, actually... But I admitted I wasn't comfortable. Yeah. I, I sat there saying, 
guys, like literally, I was sweating, <laughs> like doing. I was literally like, oh, I feel really uncomfortable. But it's exactly it goes back to exactly what you were saying. It, it like as soon as you then face up to it and you say, you know what, I'm going to approach it, it becomes a bit easier. Yeah. Big thank you to the fabulous Deborah James, aka Bal Babe. Go check her out. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Badass Women's Hour XL on Talk Radio. She'll get you talking. Now we are talking to Titi Dawoodoo, looking at women of the future and particularly women in theatre and women of colour in theatre. Titi, you have written an incredible book that I was flicking through earlier called Hear Me Now, which is audition monologues for actors of colour. Why do you think that needed to be written? Well, for me, it's it's because of actors that I was working with over um, quite a long time just felt like they didn't have really great audition materials to work with. So I, I was actually writing their um, audition monologues for them. And I thought, hmm, there's something in this. And um, Him and I was born, really. Um, tell us a little bit about you and how you kind of got into theatre and your background. Okay, so I didn't take actually a traditional route. I, I um, went to uni. And um, I went to Northampton, I did media and um, sociology. I thought I might want to be a serious journalist, maybe. Um, I <laughs> Great right turn on that, <laughs> let me tell you. I left university, I worked for GMTV. Um, and I thought, no, you know, I, I want to be a storyteller, I want to work in the arts. And when I was 15, my very first mentor was um, Lucy Neal, who co-founded Lyft. And she took me to see my very first play. And that was Othello. And it was at the National. And I put on a big puffy ball dress because I didn't know what you yeah. wore to the theatre. And um, and you didn't need to wear that, but um, I wore that. And um, and I remember, you know, waiting for it to, to 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 start. And I was like, oh, this is, you know, this is. I was quite a shy child. And then I saw a black man walk on stage, and I was like, what? I didn't even know this existed. You know, I wasn't from a theatre going family. This was the first time I'd ever ever experienced it. So for me, it was like, wow. And that was seed was planted, and that was like twenty two years ago. And um, and I'm I've just been in theatre kind of thing ever since doing something whether it was um, working with young people and getting them into the arts and now I work at Oval House as a learning art participation manager 
And yeah, for me, it was that seed that was planted all those years ago, really. Amazing. And for people who are not in the theatre and don't understand, what's important about an audition monologue? What is it and why does it matter which one you pick? Well, I mean, some for actors, some actors, depending on what they're going up for, they may already ha- have that audition monologue because it could be a part of the script that they're learning. But then there's other types of auditions where you have to, to bring something with you. And so the actors that I was have been working with over the years and when I went to um, Central St. Martins and I worked with some of the actors at... Um, but just my actors at Drama Centre, they just couldn't find really great pieces that they felt represented them, you know. And, um, and yeah, and so we just had conversations. Um, I was working with another theatre company at the time and it was like, actually, let's hear from the actors. You know, let's, let, let it be more than just writers writing monologues. Let's hear from the actors. And what we did, we had workshops and we asked the actors, if you could play any part, what would that be? And that's what became the monologue. So we actually asked them. So we've got like a first black man that goes to space. We've got an Iman that's on like on a, on a dating thing. We've got um, an Indian girl who wants to be a country singer. And these are all the parts that actors want to play one day. Because yeah. a lot of actors who are like early career emerging actors, they, they're, they're given like really stereotypical parts. Like if you're Asian, you might get the terrorist part. If you're a black guy, you might get the gang member, you know. And when you're early career, you just have to take those parts because you need the money you needed experience so for me it was about empowering them in the audition room because most of the time when they're in the audition room the casting director's white the director's white the producer's white and already you're preparing for a part let alone then thinking about how am I going to be perceived you know things like that so for me this hear me now is is a toolkit is just a you know something to empower them yeah when they're in the audition room to kind of go for that part it sounds like what you've actually got is a book of what could be really amazing films, scripts, TV productions, stories. Yeah, yeah. I actually haven't thought about it that way. Yeah, definitely. They're, they're, they're the start of something. Yeah, 100%. Because they're like, you know, they're short, three, four minutes, whatever. You can use them in workshops too. But yeah, the, the, the stories and the characters can be developed, 100%. Because we've, we've had, uh, in fact, we had somebody on the show a couple of weeks ago. and uh, the National Youth Theatre? Yeah, National Youth Theatre. Yeah. And we had the two lead actors in. And that's typically been, uh, I don't remember which, what the story was. Was, but it's it typically was Queen Victoria and Prince Albert and the two oh, actors right. playing Victoria and Albert and they had two young black actors mm. and we asked them about you know what was the response to that when you've got two characters that are real people that you know we traditionally think of if we're thinking of them on film or on screen we're thinking Judy Dench yeah yeah <laughs> um, <Good old> Judy <laughs> yeah and they were just like no it's just it's just a part you're just yeah. learning the part you're being part and I think we've had conversations as well about you know uh, movie directors that are doing like blind casting yeah. and then when this story came up uh, for me it was you know I was just like actually this is this is far more interesting because you know we're talking about trying to do blind casting and getting different um ethnic diversity into films but actually you're not telling an authentic story and like you say just because you are a black actor it doesn't mean that you're going to be stereotyped in these in these roles and everybody's walking this life in a different path so when you some of those stories that you said I was like well yeah wouldn't it be amazing to see these told as you know get the diversity that we need in um, theatre. Because some of these uh, monologues aren't even just um, culturally specific. I mean, you've got a boy who likes football and he likes um, Bake Off, he likes baking as well. You know, and again, for that young actor, it was like, that's just a great part for me that I would never get to play probably. So let me have fun in the audition room. Do you think it's going to be... Actually, let me change this question. 
What has been the response from casting directors to this? Well, yep, so far so good. So we had um, Hannah Miller, who's the casting director um, at Royal, she's the head of um, casting at Royal Shakespeare Company. So she's loved it. And when we had the launch at RADA, she was on the panel and um, and she, yeah, she loved it. So when, when we did the pilot for this, we actually used the National Youth um, Theatre, some of the young people there. And then on the panel, we had a few casting directors. And yeah, so everyone's so far, I mean, everyone's loved it. Everyone's really loved it. And what difference would you like to see if we're sort of 10 years down the line and people have really taken this book and used it what difference would you like it to have made well I want this to kind of spark something you know I just I feel like um you know I'm I'm one person and um and even though I partner with another theatre company but I'm still one person but I feel like if one person you know it's that thing if you can do something start the conversation make little change then I'm hoping that in 10 years time we wouldn't be surprised if there's a black actor playing you know Henry the Fearful it's just like okay cool it doesn't have to be an issue it doesn't have to be talked about you know when Beverly Knight played um Emmeline Pankhurst at Sylvia at the Old Vic she just got so much flack for it but then for years like white people have been black facing and you know all sorts it's like oh come on you know let it just be about the story or let it just be like you know we're taking a different take on this but it has to be so political yeah I agree would you like do you think this is gonna empower I guess more actors of colour to start also creating their own stuff and taking these stories and being like actually this is a three or four minute monologue it can be a production let's do it I hope so I hope so I'm I'm really all about empowerment really I'm just as I said I'm just one person it's it's for me it's about yeah what can we do if we want change what can we do together you know um collectively um yeah and just and just thinking that this could be the start of something you know I, I really hope that I really to me this is about a legacy as well I'm really big on that I'm really big on what can I, you know, I have a son and I'm thinking, what is the world, he's only 18 months old, but what will the world be like when he's 18, when he's finished uni or apprenticeship or whatever he wants to do? What's the world going to be like? So can I do something? I mean, I don't know if he's going to be an actor, but can I just, can I do something, something small that could spark something that could grow or whatever, you know? Yeah, because I'm, I'm thinking as well that the impact of these stories when they're read in front of people who are involved in a production and even that is going to have influence isn't it because people are going to hear stories that they've never heard or seen before so yeah I think this book is going to be really because I think it's such a shame because a lot of the time when you hear stories that are like uh, you know culturally diverse it's about struggle or pain and it's like yeah Yeah. but what about love what about the real about the day to day Yeah. yeah I don't know parenting we, you know, that's hard too. I want to, I want to hear about that. So for me, it's just, it's actually ordinary stories. I mean, some of them, yeah, like you know, the first Batman in space. But again, that why, why can't you have that? Yeah. You know, but some of these are just everyday stories about love and friendship and, and you know, things like that. Beautiful. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank I'm, you. Personally, can I just say I also really agree with you that I think everyone should dress up for the theatre. <laughs> I yes. always do. And I'm always very sad when I see people there in jeans. That's just, that's just what I'm saying. Um, TG Doherty, thank you so much thank for coming you. in. The book is called Hear Me Now, Audition Monologues for Actors of Colour. It is definitely worth finding if that is you. It's a great book and just some beautiful stories in there. Badass Women's Hour XL on Talk Radio. She'll get you talking. We are talking to Alex O'Neill about life as a boomerang child. Hi, Alex. Hello, Harriet. Um, So tell us how old you are and what makes you a boomerang child. I am 35 and I'm currently living back at home with my mum and dad. Um, My husband, who um, commutes between London and Belfast, where we are now, and my one-year-old son. So, yeah. And how's wow. that going? <laughs> um, you know, there are ups and downs. 
mainly, and I've been really surprised by this, I'm, I'm secretly really loving it. I mean, it's, it's a pretty sweet setup. My mum does all my laundry. She has my knickers, which is a revelation. Um, my dad does all the cooking. Um, so all those big things, all the stresses that I had in London, as well as um, sort of working as a freelance journalist, which is quite stressful, and, and trying to juggle new motherhood as well. I, I hated doing laundry. I hated having to try and cook every night. It was really, it was too much. So they've taken all those, you know, big kind of um, housework loads, which is those domestic loads off me, which has been great. Um, and it's really nice having, you know, someone around to talk to in the evening when my husband's working, or um, just be there to help with the kid a bit, or you know, watch how all around. I have to ask, how are your parents feeling about this? They, they thought you'd right. gone and you were you were out, yeah, yeah, and now you're back exactly. again. With child. I think they're used to, yeah, with child, exactly. I think they finally thought, you know, my sister's in the studio now, I thought, right, we've got rid of both of them. So I, I, they weren't expecting this. However, um, it was mum's idea because we're moving to France next year. Um, we wanted to save. We just found sort of living in London sort of not impossible to get any savings together. So mum said, look, why don't you come in for a couple of months? Um, but I think I think she's ready. They're, we're all having a great time, but I think it works because there's an expiration date. We know that we're moving out in February. Um, I hope so anyway. And, um, and yeah, sort of so everyone's just making the most of it but they do miss I mean they they're fond of a drink and running around the garden naked I'm not making that up they've done that before and I think they'd like to get back to that stage where they can be a bit more free and yeah have naked Fridays if they want to have you reverted to a teenager I feel like I always revert to a teenager around all my family too long oh man absolutely so yeah I I find myself just having silly straps or just getting I don't know get annoyed about things that I wouldn't be annoyed about it. Normally, if mum's talking when I'm trying to watch a programme, I'm just, you know, a sign, roll my eyes very dramatically. And, um, yeah, and I almost slammed the door the other day. just had to check myself. <laughs> like, get a grip. Seriously, you're a grown woman. But it's hard not to. Um, and especially when everything's done for you. Like, mum keeps going on at me. Have you ironed your, or, sorry, changed your sheets? Um, have you hoovered the floor? And, uh, you know, I don't really kind of like her going into my room and checking if I'm keeping everything clean. So <laughs> there are boundaries to be drawn. But, um yeah, I think I think everybody kind of has to check themselves a bit when you're in this arrangement because obviously it's not it's not the ideal and you've got to be respectful of, you know, it's their house, but at the same time they know that I'm a grown woman, I've got, you know, a kid. And I think that's the toughest bit when you have a baby because you've got two sets of parents really um, Alex, involved. what prompted your decision to move back in with your parents? How did it come about? Um, so we, we were in London for a decade um, and we'd always talked about having a bit of change we wanted to go to France and um, it was just really hard to save um, it just yeah it's impossible I mean London is just so crazy we, we did have a place there um, and we just found that you know in the evenings we were too knackered to even plan for it so yeah when mum suggested moving back we could have some time to save we could logistically start planning for a move um, we thought it would be a bit of a good idea and actually it's been going well so far I mean we've, we've saved a good bit and my head's a lot clearer I've got a lot more time to myself and to get things organised and to go over to France and do reckeys and look at houses. Um, so it, it's, yeah, it has been worthwhile. But it, you know, if it, that means sacrificing your independence a bit, I guess. Do you think I it's guess just, it'll be worth it. Do you think it's just a London thing? Is it, if you know, when we all kind of move to London at a young age, we have to accept that mm. we're going to have to move out again. Or is it something that's affecting kind of young people all over the country where they just, the money just isn't there to save to buy yeah. our own place? I do think it's wider than that. I mean, I think everybody always focuses on London because it is crazy. I mean, even renting is impossible. But yeah, I, I mean, the figures do show that it is something that's UK-wide. Um, and it is a shame. And I think with, the, you know, for, 
it's not so bad for me, you know, I'm a bit older and I, I know that we're we're leaving and, you know, I have moved out and I have had my own place. But I think that there still is such a stigma attached to it, especially when you're, you know, maybe in your mid-twenties and you're really excited about, right, I'm going to leave university and get a cool job. And, and then to have to go back to your parents, it feels like, I guess, for a lot of people, a bit of a failure. Um, and it's just not the case. You know, it's, it's, it's tough. I don't really know what a lot of people can do, but just look mm-hmm. at it. It's a stepping stone, you know, and... If it's if it's a couple of months or up to a year, if it helps you save and get to where you want to be, but um, yeah. I, so I'm not doubting at all that you're finding it difficult to save London because it is really difficult. Mm. But I do keep seeing all these articles being written by people where they're like, "I earn forty grand and I live with my parents and I still have no free cash." <laughs> is it? I don't want to say that millennials are all spending their money on avocado on toast because, quite frankly, it's delicious and why shouldn't you? But well, absolutely, yeah. It oh. Do we just have a different attitude to spending than our parents' generation, maybe? I think possibly, but at the same time, so you hear this a lot about, you know, there are people saying that millennials do spend all their money in avocado and toast, <laughs> but it's like the reality is you're not, they're not going to be anywhere near to affording to buy houses. That's the thing. It's just not, it's not a reality for most millennials. So you mm-hmm. could not buy avocado and toast every day for 10 years and you still wouldn't cobble together even a fraction of what you need for deposit, yeah. not even in London. Um, so... I guess the attitude is, well, why not? We need to sort of spend our money on something. We want to have a good life. So instead, we spend our money on experiences rather than those material possessions. So I guess it's just reevaluating what success looks like and changing that that view of what it is to be successful. So I think millennials, it's a lot more about experience than, than bricks and mortar or having those traditional hallmarks of adulthood, which is buy a house, get married, have kids. Um, so we're, uh, yeah, I think it's unfair to say that it's just that we we can't save. Maybe we can't. <laughs> you're you're right. Just going back to what you're saying about stigma, because I was just thinking about, you know, if I've if I dated a guy and he said that he lived at home with his parents, I think I'd be really judgy about it. Yeah, and I think that's it. I think it's it's tougher for guys. I definitely. Do. I mean, a lot of my friends have been, yeah, they don't think it's strange. Whereas a lot of my husband's friends. I've been a bit funny about it or God, that's really strange that you're moving back in. And I do think it's harder for guys because maybe it's less sexy. I don't know. It seems it seems unfair, but I think there's just a stereo it's interesting actually, because I always think about these stereotype for, say, older women, but actually there is a stereotypical man that you think mm. is living at home. Yeah. And I yeah. think yeah. that that's what I'm transferring on if somebody says that. But you know, you're right, in this day and age it makes an awful lot of sense and I also think that you know we've lost our whole sense of community and actually mm. living at home with your parents or, cro- or close proximity I think it's probably just a bit healthier for us regardless of the door slamming <laughs> but do you yeah. know what I mean I just feel like you know that's probably we, we've lost that we all want to live as like individual units but I feel like I mean, we need to mm-hmm. almost rethink accommodation because now we've got lots of people living as individual units and you know we know that's not the healthiest way for society to live exactly and if you think about it in many places in the rest of the world a lot of people still live at home when there isn't that stigma attached um and i think it's just about uncoupling this idea that that you know self-reliance and and it, it doesn't necessarily mean that you you don't need to get help or that you need to live on your own so as long as i guess that you're when you are living at home you've got a purpose you know maybe you're saving for something you clean up after yourself and don't take them for granted and you know um your own laundry from time to time it's fine but I couldn't I mean if I thought this was going to be a long-term arrangement I think 
I definitely go a bit crazy. Yeah, but that's but, living with anybody, right? Yeah, I think long term. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Alex, exactly. I have to ask you, you haven't just moved back by yourself. You've moved back with your husband. Mm. Is mm. Has that been a bit weird? I mean, I'm basically that's, asking, yeah. can you have sex in your parents' house? Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, no, I get any time that's kind of, he's going to kill me, any time that he's gone there, I just can't. I feel like I'm a teenager again. I'm just like, no, they might hear the bed creaking. Um, yeah, I, so that it's definitely um, put a dampener in things in that regard, So, um, which, is, which is another reason why we need to get out quickly. <laughs> I had to ask because I had a friend who did this with... Um, when she and her partner were saving up and they moved back in with her parents and her parents, even though they were married, literally moved them into separate rooms. No, really? (laughs) Yeah. And they, they, I mean, they sort of made this thing about, oh, it's because, you know, it's easier just to do it this way so that we still have the guest room free or whatever. I don't know what it was. But (laughs) literally moved into separate rooms. And she said, he would try and corridor creep and she was like, nope, sorry, (gasps) this can't happen. You have to go back to your own room. I would be locking that down. I couldn't. I just, I just, I feel like I'd be 17. The, the embarrassment, I just couldn't cope with it. And I know it's awful. I feel really bad. Actually, we've got a free house tonight, so maybe we should. Um, Take full advantage. Make the most. <laughs> Alex, finally, if you are, if somebody's listening to this and thinking, oh God, the only way I think I'm going to get any kind of savings together is moving back in with my parents, but I don't know if I can do it. What are some mm. top tips? Um, okay, create boundaries straight off the bat so we we all sat down and we had a chat and we sort of said look you know especially when it came to, to William our son that they, this is how we want to raise him and great if you could be supportive but like not try and jump in um we have a separate we're, we're quite lucky in that mom and dad have space so we do have a separate room that we can go into so we're not on top of each other all the time um yeah it's just about being really clear up front and not letting things fester and then if there are things that you're a bit annoyed about clearing the air straight away um and yeah, I would say I, I'm I am really bad in that I do fully let mum do all of my laundry and I love it. But I, I would <laughs> well, do mine. Not, oh god, I'll send her. I love my knickers on. Yeah, That'd be amazing. I, it really is amazing. Like it feels so good. I, I, <laughs> the way you talked about that. It. it feels. It's, I, and then it just sits in the drawer really neatly. I'm really gonna miss it. I'll have to bring her over. <laughs> but yeah, just have that conversation up front, and I think have have a date that you're going to move out because if it feels like you're just it can it would get pretty depressing if you thought you were just moving in without a goal so if you know it's for a set amount of time I've got a friend who's doing the same thing to save for a house um and she said that it works fine because she knows that it's it's not for long um so yeah if you just see it as a stepping stone it can be a really good thing um and it is quite nice to sort of reconnect with your parents at this age because you appreciate them a lot more I think Brilliant. Alex, thank you so much. Jonas, Alex O'Neill. Um, if people want to follow your life adventures as a boomerang child, where can they find you? Oh, um, the Times. The last piece it was for uh, the Times. Brilliant. Thank yep. you so much, Alex. This has been the Badass Women's Hour podcast with me, Harriet Minter, Natalie Campbell and Emma Sexton. If you want to hear more from us, you can come follow us on social media at Badass Women's Hour HR um, or leave us a review and tell us how much you love us. We really need to feel the love. Five stars should do it. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. 